0: If I was in a pulpit on this morning, I would start this thing out by declaring that this is the day that the Lord has made. and Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We ought to rejoice and be glad in it. And being that we are Discussing the topic of celebration or festivals, I figured, why not do what it is I usually do? So good morning. I am Rashawn D. Simon, Assistant Pastor of House of Mercy Everlasting in College Park, Georgia. And I will be speaking to you for a moment from the topic, The Theology of Celebration. Even though I spent portions of my youth and teenage years growing up in the church, I have no immediate recollections of ever hearing the phrase prodigal son prior to my mid to late 20s. It was during those years, my mid to late 20s, that my father would refer to me as his prodigal son. Whenever he greeted me at the door of my childhood home or I caught him off guard during one of my visits, it's my prodigal son I remember my father declaring. Now, you may be wondering what it felt like to be compared, equated, to an individual that so many people consider to be, well, irresponsible. But to be honest, I cannot remember ever having any feelings about it one way or another. I was not terribly familiar with the story, for one, and for two, because of how I lived in the world. I never really felt as though my father meant anything negative about the references, I, as far as I was concerned, was in no way irresponsible, unmotivated, ungrateful, or any of the adjectives many people have over the years used to describe the young man portrayed in our parable on this morning. And so these many years later, I must admit that I find it slightly ironic to be sharing with you all from this text on this day, because as you know, it's Father's Day. That day set aside to celebrate those we call dad or consider our father figures. How fitting to be engaging this father and these sons on this day in the midst of this season. I find it almost ironic where this parable lands in Luke's account of Jesus's ministry. As told only by Luke, the parable is bookended by a series of teachings related to either some form of loss or references to order. How ironic is it that during this time in which we find ourselves, a global pandemic, while well, we're all dealing with some form of loss, whether it's the loss of a loved one or a friend or the loss of access to our families or friends or the loss of stability as the economy is struggling. We also find ourselves in the midst of what the powers may be would describe as an air of lawlessness and chaos and disorder, civil unrest across the country. And as all of this is going on, we are presently in a season of supposed celebration. Gay Pride, and Father's Day. How ironic that on this morning, we would find ourselves faced with an illustrative moral lesson about loss and celebration as told to us by the one whom we celebrate for making the ultimate sacrifice, giving his life. According to Jesus, there was a man who had two sons. We don't know his name, We don't have an age. We don't know what he has done for a living to acquire all that he has. All we know is that he has enough wealth and property to divide it between his two sons. At the start of the story, Jesus shares with those listening that the younger son asks his father for what's his. Rather than waiting for the appointed time, he wants to take ownership of his inheritance in this very moment. His father obliges, and not long after that, the son launches out in the world. And then he blows everything. Now imagine, if you will, one of those movies where the guy decides to do it big in Las Vegas. He and a group of friends decide to spend the weekend in Sin City. They luck up on a craps table, or maybe it was a slot machine. And after a few drinks and a few attempts, they hit the jackpot. Sirens are going off. Lights are flashing. Everyone has stopped what they are doing to take in the scene as this guy, maybe a college sophomore or better yet, a senior at a major Ivy League school, freaks out in excitement and celebrates as boisterously as possible. And then he wakes up the next morning, hungover. His clothes are dirty and sticky, and he has no memory of what happened the night before. His friends are nowhere to be found. He has no clue where he is or who or whose room he is occupying. He struggles to get his bearing and after some time realizes he is dead broke. He lost everything, spit everything he won the night before, doing it big, living the fast life and partying excessively. This is what comes to mind for me as I read and investigate the text. The son who requested that his father give him what he considers his now has nothing and has to figure life out on his own. According to the story, the son does what any of us would do in his situation. He has to make ends meet. And so he goes out and he finds work. He has too much shame to face his father. And I would venture to also suggest that he probably doesn't want to face his brother either. Eventually, He accepts that he will have to return home, and why shouldn't he? His father is a wealthy man, and if he should work for anyone, he should at least work for his dad. But when he arrives, it is not anger or disappointment or a lecture that he receives from his father. What he gets from his father is joy. What he gets from his father is relief in knowing that his son is alive. What he gets from his father is a celebration. His prodigal son has returned home. For lifetimes, scholars have debated the meaning of this text and the point that Jesus was trying to get across to those that were listening. One of the most common debates that seems to be the most popular interpretation is that God is merciful that regardless of what we do or how we do it or when we do it, God will still show God's mercy because God is fair. God is loving. Investigating this text, I can see how, how scholars have come to their conclusions. There, there are a handful of lessons I believe we can glean from Jesus' parable. Be careful what you ask for. Wait your turn. Timing is important. Be smart with your riches. You can always return home. They are all very valid lessons, teachings that I think would be beneficial to any of us and serve any of us in our lives and along our journeys. But when investigating this text, when holding it up in contention alongside what we are facing as a society, as a culture, as neighbors, locally, regionally, nationally, and internationally, there is, I believe, an instruction that God wants to share with us in this time, at this moment we ought to celebrate it's that simple we ought to celebrate we ought to celebrate because there is still something to celebrate we ought to celebrate because we all deserve to be celebrated we ought to celebrate because celebration is a revolutionary act when the man's oldest son maybe Maybe we can call him Big Brother Almighty, or better yet, Big Brother do Good. When he becomes angry at this celebration being thrown by his father for his younger brother, I think the point the father wanted to get across to his son is that there is a reason to celebrate because of who and what his son has meant to him. When we celebrate, we ought to be thankful. When we celebrate. We ought to be grateful. When we celebrate, we ought to divorce ourselves of our fears and our doubts, our worries and our concerns. We should take a break from this stuff. The father took the time to do these things. He didn't want to be burdened any longer with the concern and worry and fears of what had happened to his son, to his Beloved, he wanted to take the moment to escape from those weights, to for a moment be free from the shackles of that baggage, to be the best and have the best and wear the best. The father made a choice. Celebration is a choice. When considering where we are in the world today and what we are facing, there is a reason to celebrate because celebration provides for us more than just an excuse to party celebration provides for us an opportunity to express our love our gratitude our affection for ourselves and for others celebration provides for us an opportunity to recognize and display and express our pride celebration is a chance to reflect celebration is a chance to consider celebration, is a chance to declare and proclaim and affirm that we matter, that we exist, and that we choose to live and be seen and to have joy. Celebration is a choice. Take, if you will, the Black Lives Matter movement. While it has become equated to the civil unrest facing society today in response to the killing of innocent black men and women at the hands of police officers, their allies, and their friends, Black Lives Matter is an unpolitical political political statement. Black Lives Matter is a proclamation. It is an affirmation. It is an asservation that black lives actually do matter. Black Lives Matter is an announcement of the presence of a people who have done more than just overcome, who have done more than just survived. Black Lives Matter is an account of the power and influence of blackness. Black Lives Matter states that black lives are creative, innovative, futuristic, and historic. Black lives are royal, vigorous, intoxicating, and revolutionary. Black lives are joyous, and it is that joy that should be celebrated. That even though black bodies, cisgendered and transgender, are being executed through modern day and traditional lynchings, black lives continue to declare, to proclaim, to exclaim that we matter, that we are here, that we exist, that we cannot be exterminated, and that we should be celebrated. And no, I am not suggesting some parallel between Black Lives Matter and this young man's son, this father's son. This is not a loosely-veiled attempt to make some political or even religious comparison. Between the actions of the younger son, who in all of his privilege made some questionable decisions that in a lot of ways almost mirror the actions of your average spoiled brat, who is not all that impressive and has benefited from the access and success and accomplishments of his lineage to get by in the world. With a movement that is changing the course of history and bringing to light the systemic issues that have allowed someone like the younger son to benefit from the privileges afforded him because he just so happened to be born into a certain family. Even though I do find myself considering the parallels between these two sons and Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, this is not a Black Lives Matter versus All Lives Matter argument, statement, or moment. Black lives matter. Black lives matter is a state of fact with a celebratory meaning. We matter, and that ought to be celebrated. Celebration is a choice. And if I were to make parallels, I would probably more easily parallel Black Lives Matter with the older son, Big Brother Almighty, who in a lot of ways feels overlooked, neglected, underappreciated by his father because he has been there and worked and toiled and sacrificed and slaved while his younger, not all that impressive, mostly average, privileged younger brother got the party. That is actually a more accurate comparison and portrayal of this country's history, if you ask me. I can understand. I can relate to the frustration of Big Brother Almighty, a.k.a. Big Brother Do-Right. I know what it is like to have been there, to have been present, to have toiled and sacrificed, to have placed yourself in the face of danger, setting off a protest that will lead to the development of a month-long celebration for which companies produce and sell apparel or develop campaigns to celebrate you as a means of showing that they are allies. Wait, are we talking about Black History Month or Pride Month? whoa. we are talking about a father and his two sons sorry. Society today is doing all it can to keep us from celebrating. And so I think it is worth following the father's lead, heeding his message to his sons on this Father Day during this Pride Month. Our lives, our survival, our presence ought to be celebrated. And even though Big Brother Almighty feels overlooked, neglected, underappreciated, and invisible, he has agency to be celebrated as well. Just like our black trans sisters and brothers who, if not for them, we wouldn't have these pride celebrations because of their sacrifices, their protesting, their rioting, and how it laid the foundation for this season of celebration. And the women who called out their abusers and declared that their agency had been robbed, they ought to be celebrated as well. And the young black boy and girls who have grown up believing they did not matter that they either that they aren't worthy that they aren't smart enough or pretty enough or capable enough, they ought to be celebrated too and for the high school kid who was told they were too effeminate or too tomboyish or too fat or too clockable or too skinny or not skinny enough or not charismatic enough, you ought to also be celebrated. Celebration is a choice given our current state of affairs, we ought to celebrate, but it is not just enough to celebrate. We ought to celebrate with purpose. We ought to celebrate for a reason beyond celebrating for the sake of celebrating. Since we have the choice, since we have the chance, since we have the option and the freedom to celebrate, our celebrations must count. They must matter. They must account for something. Whether it is declaring that black lives matter, black trans lives matter, or that our votes matter, we ought to celebrate. Whether it is we are here, we're queer, and we aren't going anywhere, we ought to celebrate. Whether it is Me Too, Time's Up, Love Wins, or Not In My Name, we ought to celebrate. We ought to celebrate because it it is our duty to celebrate. We ought to celebrate because our very survival depends on it. We ought to celebrate because our very presence requires it. We ought to celebrate because our sanity craves it. We ought to celebrate because God is calling us to it. Celebration is a choice, celebration is a revolutionary act, celebration is a privilege we ought to celebrate.